0: Hi, you're listening to Bonus Points, the official podcast of Mr. Astle's Theology Class. Join us as we put out into the deep and explore the world of theology and beyond. Today, we're talking about the Swiss Guard, the protectors of the Pope and Vatican City. Let's begin. Well, welcome to another episode of Bonus Points. As always, make sure you check out our website at bonuspointspodcast.com. There you can submit ideas for future episodes, you can ask questions for an upcoming episode of Question and Astle, and please also make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it, and share this with a friend. Anyway, when people think of the Swiss Guard, they usually picture guys wearing odd, brightly colored uniforms and wielding halberds but the Swiss Guard is so much more. So we're gonna start by talking about how part of the Swiss Army became responsible for protecting the Pope in the first place. We'll talk about the process of becoming a Swiss Guard, and then we'll talk about how the Swiss Guard operates today. Spoiler alert, those funny uniforms are just the ceremonial part. So let's start with the history of the Swiss Guard. How do you, why do you have a group of Swiss soldiers protecting the Pope. So we have to go back to the late Middle Ages. Under feudalism, most armies were made up of whatever guys lived in a particular territory. Your liege could call you up to service, and you would go fight his war, and hopefully that was the end of it. But towards the late Middle Ages, mercenaries became very popular. These were guys who were professional soldiers who you could pay to just show up and fight for you. And part of the reason they were popular is because they were professionals. They were much more skilled than random farmers you made go to war for you. And of all the different mercenaries around, it was Swiss mercenaries that were particularly popular. Um, In part because of the way their government was set up, it made it really easy to contract a ready-made army. So Swiss mercenaries became very popular. And in the 14th century they began serving the papal states. Now, that's a concept that might be unfamiliar to us because in the modern day, we know that the Pope has spiritual authority over the entire world, but when it comes to his temporal authority, it's limited to Vatican City, which is the world's smallest country entirely surrounded by the city of Rome. Now, that wasn't always the case. Back in the day, the Pope had temporal jurisdiction over an entire territory and they were called the Papal States. So most of central Italy was a kingdom ruled by the Pope. And like other kingdoms, uh, the Papal States would go to war sometimes. And so in 1505, under Pope Julius II, there was a permanent contingent of Swiss mercenaries, Swiss soldiers, um, that were sent to be under the direct authority of the Pope. And so in January of 1506, The first 150 Swiss Guardsmen arrived in the Vatican, and the Swiss have been there ever since. Um, That arrangement of, of having these Swiss soldiers to protect the Pope has been there since then. Now, you can't talk about the Swiss Guard and not mention their role in the sack of Rome in 1527. This is probably their most famous moment ever. So, for context, you have the Holy Roman Empire, in Europe. It's kind of a big deal. But the emperor doesn't always get along with the pope. As you might expect, there's a little bit of a power struggle there. And over time, the Holy Roman Empire started to assert itself more and more on the Italian peninsula, which the pope really, really didn't like. So in 1526, Pope Clement VII formed an alliance called the League of Cognac. It included the Papal States, France, And um, some of the various kingdoms in Italy. And the whole point of the League of Cognac was to oppose the Holy Roman Empire. And so they went to war. Now, the Holy Roman Empire won a few early victories, but they lost momentum pretty quick. In part, they didn't have the kind of siege equipment that was necessary to really uh, set up a good siege against a city. But even worse, and even more importantly for our purposes, The soldiers fighting for the Holy Roman Empire were not getting paid. They were not getting their paychecks. And as anyone who's ever had to miss a paycheck knows, that makes people unhappy very, very quickly. So in 1527, um, the Holy Roman Empire troops mutinied and they forced their commander to march on Rome. Why? Because they knew that um, Rome had wealth. And so the goal was they were going to go and loot the city. And that's how they were going to get paid. They weren't getting the paycheck they were promised, so they were going to have to take matters into their own hands. Now there's also a religious dimension here as well, because many of the German soldiers fighting for the Holy Roman Empire were Protestants. And so the idea of attacking the Pope might have been appealing for that reason as well. So on May 6, 1527, you have um, this mutinous band of soldiers From the Holy Roman Empire that scales the walls. Their general knew that the city was pretty weakly defended. Um, Rome only had about 5,000 militia to defend it. And so he, the the commander of the Holy Roman Empire troops, was one of the first guys over the wall, which in this case was a bad decision because he got shot almost immediately. And the thing about an army when their commander goes down is it's anarchy. Um, They break loose... And so this, this angry mob of an army just starts absolutely sacking the city. They take whatever they can get their hands on. They're killing people in the streets. They're burning churches. It is madness. This is where the Swiss Guard come in. So there were 189 Swiss Guard, and they see the mob coming closer and closer to the Pope. They know that the Apostolic Palace is not going to be defendable, but... There is a fortress nearby called Castle San Angelo. Um, this was originally built as Hadrian's tomb, but in the 1300s it was converted into a fortress. Now they knew if they could get the Pope to Castle San Angelo, he would be safe. And the way that they would get him there was this raised passageway called Il Passetto. And what they knew was they had to buy enough time for the Pope to get across the passageway and into the fortress. And so these terribly, terribly outnumbered 189 Swiss Guard take up defensive positions um, to buy the Pope time to escape. And they stand and fight. And they, they succeed. They fight long enough for the Pope to escape, barely. Um, somebody who was writing about it at the time said that, so the Pope had been praying in his private chapel before being evacuated. They say if he'd stayed for three more creeds, he would have been a goner. And so... Um, the Swiss Guard are able to hold off the attack just long enough for the Pope to escape. In the process, all but 42 of the 189 Swiss Guard died. That's 147 dead. 77% of the Swiss Guard was cut down so that the Pope could escape. And so that became um, this this moment, this identity-forming moment for the Swiss Guard. Ever since then, May 6th has been the day that they commemorate as um, sort of their their moment of valor. Um, In fact, even today, May 6th, is the day every year when new Swiss Guards are sworn in. Since then, um, their military role has diminished a lot, especially as the Papal States stopped existing. Um, But even today, the Swiss Guard are responsible for protecting the Pope, his residence, and the Vatican. And so most of their time, they will spend protecting Vatican City, uh, but they will also travel with the Pope. And we'll talk about how they do that in a second. Since then, um, they've had a few other moments where they've shown that their last stand in 1527 was not a one-off. Um, during World War II, when the Axis invaded Rome, they, there were concerns that they were going to invade the Vatican. And the Swiss Guard said, all right, we're ready. They took up defensive positions. They were ready to fight to the death just like before. Now, thankfully, the Axis never ended up invading the Vatican, but the Swiss Guard made it very clear they were ready. Um, you know, they're, they're not just there for looks. They're, they're still an active protective force. Uh, and then a couple years ago, ISIS threatened to kill the Pope and blow up the Vatican, and the Swiss Guard's official response was basically, hey, we're here. You, you show up whenever you want. We'll be ready for you. So, How exactly do you become a Swiss guard? Unfortunately, most of my listeners probably don't meet all of the criteria. Uh, For starters, you have to be an unmarried Catholic male aged 19 to 30. Um, Now, if you're an officer who's at least 25, and you've at least reached the rank of corporal, you are allowed to get married, but you have to be unmarried at the start. You have to have Swiss citizenship. Even today, the Swiss guard is Swiss. You have to be at least 5 foot 8 inches, and you have to be a high school graduate. You'll start your training um, in basic training for the Swiss Army, the same kind of training that all the other soldiers receive. So you'll learn normal basic training stuff like navigation, communication, marksmanship, weapons, tactics, all that good stuff. After that, you'll have several weeks of training in Rome. This is where you'll learn some of the things that are much more specific to being a Swiss guard. So. First of all, you'll learn Italian, for those who don't already know it. You'll learn the layout of Vatican City. It is very important that the Swiss Guard know every single passage and hallway in Vatican City. You'll learn um, drill and ceremony, especially because there is such a large ceremonial portion of the job. You'll also learn counterterrorism techniques. You'll learn how to protect somebody like a bodyguard. Um, So very practical, real-world, modern skills. They're not all swords. They have submachine guns. Um, although they do learn how to fight with the traditional poleaxe, the halberd, you'll see them carrying it. They do know how to use it, though, in a real defensive situation, it's unlikely that they would turn to those first. After you complete all of your training on May 6th, you are sworn in. Um, you'll do this wearing the full ceremonial stripey uniform that people are familiar with. It's called the gala uniform. Um, and you'll, you'll be wearing plate armor with it, which they don't break that out too often, but you'll, you are sworn in wearing the full regalia. You'll put your left hand on the flag of the Swiss Guard, and you'll raise your right hand with your thumb and two fingers extended. That represents the Trinity. And you take an oath, you literally shout an oath, to protect the Pope and his successors and to obey your superiors. And then after this, you and your family will get to have an audience with the Pope. So you get to meet the guy you're protecting. So, what does the Swiss Guard do? Um, the most visible part of what they do is the ceremonial role. Um, you'll see them around the Vatican, especially there to greet visiting dignitaries. If there's a head of state visiting the Pope, chances are when their car pulls up, there will be a line of Swiss Guard there. They will be carrying their halberds and they'll be wearing um, their their gala uniforms, which are the ones with blue, yellow, and red stripes. Uh, Most people say those uniforms were designed by Michelangelo. That's unclear. We're not sure. But they do go back to the Renaissance. Sometimes they'll even wear plate armor with their gala uniforms, like we said. Uh, They really only break it out for Christmas and Easter and for their swearing-in ceremony. But a lot of that plate armor is original to the 1500s. They have a blacksmith who will repair it when it needs it and will make new pieces when necessary. But a lot of it is, it's just, it's been in use since then. So beyond the ceremonial role, um, just like with, uh, we think of like the honor guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier, the marines also do real things, you know. Um, not to imply that it isn't real, but they also do have a very active fighting role. And it's the same with the Swiss guard. They have the ceremonial component, but they also protect the Pope. And they do that using modern methods. So the normal everyday uniform of the Swiss Guard is blue. Uh, You'll see that they're the guys wearing the blue tunics and the berets. And most of what they do is they monitor the entrances and exits to Vatican City. So you'll see them standing there um, guarding. You'll see they help visitors find their way. For example, if you ever have a private audience with the Pope, you would probably be told to show up at a particular gate of the Vatican and talk to the Swiss Guard and they'll take you from there. They do have plainclothes officers um, that wear suits. They look a lot like Secret Service, and they're going to be doing a lot of the same things. They're going to be monitoring the Vatican. They're going to be looking for anything suspicious, um, the kinds of explosive sweeps and bug sweeps that you would expect. They do have a fully modern armory with um, a lot of the same weapons that are used by the Italian army, um, and they're trained in modern counterterrorism techniques. Now, aside from the ceremonial Swiss Guard, um, you've probably seen the plainclothes ones as well, because anytime the Pope is in the Popemobile, it's always surrounded by them. So find any video of the Pope driving around St. Peter's Square or when he visits somewhere. You'll see guys in black suits standing near the Popemobile. Those are Swiss Guard. Uh, I actually got to see some of these guys in person when Pope Francis came to Philadelphia back in 2015. By the way, and I, I hope I don't disappoint you here. If you get arrested in the Vatican, it's probably not the Swiss Guard that arrested you. Unless you attack the Pope directly. Please don't do that. But if you do, that's going to be the Swiss Guard. But most of the normal policing work in the Vatican is done by the gendarmes. I think that's how you say it. Um, And then if it's in St. Peter's Square, the Italian police have jurisdiction. So chances are you're not going to be arrested by the Swiss Guard. Sorry to disappoint, I think. When a Swiss Guardsman is not on duty, um, he lives in a barracks on the eastern edge of the Vatican, right next to the Apostolic Palace, and he'll spend his free time doing normal stuff. Uh, He'll exercise, he'll read, he'll hang out with friends. The Swiss Guard encourages fraternity, so um, he'll probably spend a lot of his time with other Swiss Guards who are also off duty. And here's a fun fact for you, just to wrap up. The Swiss Guard has a football club, or as we might call it, a soccer team. They're called the FC Guardia. um, And they play against other Vatican teams in the yearly Vatican City Championship. Yes, you might not have known this, but Vatican City has a soccer league. Um, Unfortunately, the Swiss Guard have never won the championship. Bummer. Um, For the record, the most recent champions in 2019, I think that was the last championship they had, uh, it was the team from the Bambino Yesu Children's Hospital. So congratulations to them. Better luck next year, Swiss Guard. All right, well, that's about it for today. I hope you've enjoyed this look into what is commonly called the world's smallest army. Even though a big part of their job is ceremonial, it doesn't have to be there ready if anything were to happen. After all, the Pope is the spiritual father for all of the world's Catholics, the the 1. Point, I think it's 1.4 or 1.5 billion Catholics in the world, um, and so it's it's important. It shows the respect we have for the Church and especially for the Holy Father. Some resources I can offer you today. First of all, I have an Encyclopedia Britannica article on the Swiss Guard. I have a link to the Swiss Guard's website, where um, you can find more information directly from them. If you are a listener who meets the criteria. Uh, You're you're an unmarried Catholic Swiss citizen who wants to become a Swiss guard. You'll find information about how to join. Um, It is a vocation. It is is something to be called to. But if you're eligible for that vocation, give it some thought. It would be like what an incredible honor to be able to protect the Pope and the Vatican, like the, the seat of Christianity in the world. I also have a link to a Sabaton song called The Last Stand, Um, Sabaton is a Swedish heavy metal band, I think they're Swedish, Uh, anyway they're a heavy metal group that wrote a song about the last stand of the Swiss Guard in 1527. It's pretty neat. I'm gonna have an article on the 1527 sack of Rome, the tourist website for Castle San Angelo if you want to find more information or book your tickets now. I have a link to a recruitment video that was produced by the Swiss Guard a few years ago and a video of the most recent swearing-in ceremony, which was uh, May 6, 2022. The whole thing is interesting. You'll see um, remarks from their chaplain and from their commandant, but if you want to skip to the actual swearing-in, you want to skip ahead to about the 49-minute mark. Finally, I'll have a link to an episode of the Catholic Talk Show, which is another Catholic podcast, and in this episode, they interviewed a former Swiss guard, And so he talks about some of the things we covered in this episode, but he also gives um, a unique perspective because he was one of the Swiss Guard that was there on the day when Pope John Paul II was shot in St. Peter's Square. So I highly encourage you to check that out if you are interested in learning more about the Swiss Guard. As always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it and share this episode. That has been the fastest way that the show has been growing, is people who... Share it with somebody else. It's either a topic that they think somebody would find interesting, or they just know that their friend is looking for something to listen to. But in any case, I'm, I'm so grateful and blown away every day by how fast this has grown and just how many people um, are listening. And so thank you for tuning in. I, I really, really appreciate you. Know that I'm praying for you every day, and I hope you pray for me too. Make sure you check out our website, bonuspointspodcast.com. There, as we've said a million times now, you can submit ideas for future episodes. You can ask questions for future episodes of Question and Astle, where I take listener questions and answer them on the show. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm Mr. Astle. Thank you for joining us once again as we continue in every episode to put out into the deep, exploring the world of theology and beyond.